selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. Coming up on this week's show, some huge news for Turbo Graphics fans. A new Amiga magazine is coming. And we talk gaming memories with Go8Bit's Daro Brian. Hello and welcome to the Retro Hour podcast, episode number 247, your weekly dose of retro gaming and technology news with me, Dan Wood. Me, Ravi Abbott. And me, Joe Fox. And welcome to our weekly geek out of the best retro gaming stories and technology from the last seven days. We have a little roundtable discussion about what's been going on and then the second half of the show we dedicate it to bringing on a very special guest. Now, I actually wasn't involved in this week's interview, although I must admit, I am slightly gutted that I wasn't, because it sounds like you guys had an absolute blast recording this, Joe. Yeah, we uh, we had about an hour chat with uh, the legendary Brian, which was just hilarious, to be perfectly honest. We kind of just kind of it was very chilled. We just kind of spoke a lot about gaming memories, shared a lot of memories, a lot of his memories from you know the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, and then we moved on to talking about some fantastic shows like Go 8-Bit and Robot Wars. But I really hope you've edited this really well because of, I think about half an hour of it is just me laughing. Because the and guy half an hour just, of it is swearing as well. just swearing, <laughs> just like I could not stop laughing. He was just the funniest guest we've ever had on. And, you know, it was just really cool because like I grew up watching him on like Mock of the Week and stuff like that as well. And he was just he was just really down to earth. And he actually mentioned that he'd been invited to do a couple of PBC uh, podcasts, but we actually got in there first. And he it was really nice of him to say, I'm actually going to do you guys first and then I'll do those ones in a couple of months. So he's not kind of like doubling up and stuff and i thought that was really good so it was a great interview and of course our long-running feud with the bbc being that we are you know <laughs> uh, are in competition with gardener's world um, oh, podcast yes, every yeah. week in the our main rivals gardener's <laughs> world God. well ravi keeps listening to them that, that monty <laughs> don <laughs> no so i i was talking to charlie brooker uh when we had him on the show and he mentioned that there was a lot of people that are into games and mm. dharma was one and then uh obviously seeing him on go eight bit and uh I'm a huge Robot Wars fan as well. I really geek out in that. So I I messaged him and he was totally up for coming on the show. And it's fantastic. I hope we get more of these kind of celebrities that are secret gamers, you know. 
Well, Dara, I mean, for, for those outside the UK, I mean, I'm sure everyone in the UK and Ireland will know Dara is, but I mean, for people in Australia and America, he's actually, I mean, he's a very big name here in Britain. He's like being a stand-up comedian. He just shows all over the world, though, actually. And also, like he said, he's um, host panel shows like Mot the Week. He did The Apprentice, You're Fired, the panel. He's um, had, you know, British Academy Television Awards for Best Entertainment. He, he, he did go the gaming bit. BAFTAs as well. And also in his comedy sets, he does a lot about video games. So uh, Gears of War, he's done. If you look up his Gears of War video on YouTube, it's absolutely hilarious. He sums up Gears of War 3 so well. And go a bit. I mean, we've actually done episodes in the past about that. We did one with um, Steve, didn't we? Yeah. From uh, Go Eight Bit a couple of years ago. And that was kind of a, um, a British comedy panel show that was centered around retro video games that was on uh, from about 2016 for a couple of seasons. And that was a great show. And Dara, again, like you said, he's kind of one of these um, celebrities who are closet video games fans. I mean, Dara a bit more obvious than someone like Jonathan Ross, for example, who also is a massive video games fan. But it's just great when you kind of break them out of their, uh, you know, the television shell and get them just like really nerding out. So I'm actually really excited to hear this interview. It sounds like you guys had such a laugh doing it. Oh, it's great fun. And, you know, uh, he, he was going, oh, is this just going to be me talking about Gradius or like a game for an hour? He was totally just prepared <laughs> to sit there and geek out. So it's a really fun interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. So Dara Brian's going to be our special guest. He'll be on the show in around 15 minutes from now. Now, let's just get straight into the stories this week because there's been lots of new stories have uh, been shared all over my timeline this week. I keep seeing this one popping up everywhere. The brand new release from Analog, who are doing a turbo graphics console. Yeah, this this one, I thought I, I thought they'd already done this, but obviously they haven't. Um, this looks really interesting. So they've announced today at the point of recording that they're going to be releasing next year um, the Turbo Graphics Analog Duo, um, which just looks really, really cool. It's going to be coming out at $199.99. So I'm not too sure if we're going to get it in the UK, but it's going to have Turbo Graphics 16, the PC Engine, the Super Graphics. TurboGrafx CD and the PG- PC Engine CD-ROM and the Super Arcade CD-ROM all in one package, which I didn't even know there was that kind of there was that many TurboGrafx consoles to be honest, and that many different you know like cartridges and games for it and stuff like that. So it's really cool. But what's really awesome is it's not emulation or anything like that. It's it's going to be playing original discs, original cards, and stuff like that, and. You can use your original controllers on it and everything like that. So I think that's really interesting. So it's accurately recreating the hardware on Mm. FPGA, which actually this company, Analog, have a really good reputation for. So they've released previous consoles and they've been really compatible with the older machines playing all of the games. Mm. And, you know, like the Analog Pocket, that was a hugely successful machine as well. I think they sold out straight away with that. Um, Wow. So, you know, this one, they've got a really good reputation going into it. And interestingly, it's the first CD-based system. So do you think this could lead to later CD machines being done? Do you think we could get some, like, Saturn Dreamcast uh, hybrid? I was about to say what I would love to see is some of the more obscure, like the CDI and stuff like that. But I think that's more reasonable, like a Saturn Dreamcast hybrid one. Um, I didn't even, that didn't even cross my mind. So, yeah, this, I think... I'm quite excited for it. I probably won't pick one up at that price point, but just because I'm not too familiar with the Turbo Graphics, but it could be, a, it could be a you know reason to get familiar with it. But it's, that would be incredible—a Sega Saturn Dreamcast Duo thing, like you know, a couple of years down the line. 
it's for the real kind of hardcore fans this mm. is because you get your great 1080p video output mm. you know you can have your game pads you can play your original consoles but it does come with the price tag to reflect that so it's a 199 um, dollars at the moment interesting that you you say it comes with a price tag but sometimes some of these machines are like 500 dollars I forget, I, forget, I forget the name of the one that we covered a couple of months ago, uh, but the one that plays, it's like, I completely forgot, Dan might know it when I say it, but it's like the one that cl- you can clip all the different things to it and you can make uh, it. So poly- it plays, yeah, the poly. The poly, poly yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, that could be finally like a, a you know a reason for me to play some Neo Geo CD, uh, thinking it would be a lot cheaper. But no, I was like, well, I may as well just buy a Neo Geo CD for like $500 <laughs> and buy it in one of them. So I, I don't know how much turbo graphics and stuff go for. I know the mini is usually about a hundred pounds, but I don't think that's too bad at the $200 price mark. But at the same time, it's coming out, you know, kind of when PS5 and Xbox, whatever it's called, are going to be, <laughs> you know, on, on, on the horizon as well. So I don't know. I don't know how well it will sell. Yeah, I think obviously it's a different market. I think, you know, someone who buys a PlayStation 5, it's mm. probably not going to be yeah. interested in a, a Turbo Graphics machine. But I mean, you know, it's interesting you mentioned the CDI because I was looking at the design of it. I was thinking, what does that remind me of? And actually, it, it does like remind me. It does. You know, the smaller model, the 400 or something, I think it was yeah, called. Yeah, it looks like it's a, very it looks like a cross between CDI and, and one of the later PS3s to me. Mm. That's what it looks like. But it does look slick, doesn't it? For like, a, for what it is. Like they've, 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 kind of gone to town on this and it, oh they do they do a nice job of presenting yeah. it but they are saying here as well there are going to be many delays because uh there was with the pocket and mm. uh you know they're gonna have to do it in limited quality uh quantities because of uh the pandemic situation at the moment uh which seems to be affecting a lot of these consoles and uh people creating machines the amount of systems it can cover as well i think is really good because essentially i mean i think i speak for both of you guys as well I'm not too familiar with the PC Engine TurboGrafx-16 library. I mean, I've seen them at, you know, Play Expo and stuff like that and had a little go on them, but it was never really a system that was massive over here. I mean, the older kids at school had, like, Mega Drives and Super Nintendos and Amigas and stuff. I didn't know anyone that had a PC Engine back in the day. No, nor did I. It, was, it wasn't one I'd heard of until, not even a teenager, like, well into my adulthood, I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah, until we went to Retro Revival. I think that was the first time that I actually saw a PC engine. And I was like, what is yeah. this expensive device? Well, I mean, the fact that you can actually play pretty much all of the library on here as well. You know, the super graphics. And I think that was kind of like a, an add-on, wasn't it? To kind of, see, a bit like a 32X kind of thing for the, the TurboGrafx-16. I'm, I'm not too sure. I think it was. But I, I just, I've seen pictures of all the, because it's called different things in different countries as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of like, yeah, there is like a lot of add-ons for it. Very 32X-esque looking, you know, when I see them and stuff like that. So I think you're right. And having a CD reader and having a you know card slot on there as well. Mm. It just looks like, you know, if, if you do want to explore that library and not use emulation, have like a really faithful piece of hardware that's going to let you play all of the, the NEC library, I guess, then it, it looks like a perfect solution. I must admit, 199 it's not quite an impulse buy. But I think, you know, if you've got a real interest in playing those games and so what i love about getting a system like when i got a neo geo cd last year mm. because it was a system that i'd read a lot about back in the day when i was a kid but i didn't know anyone that had one it was kind of like getting a, a completely brand new system to explore the library and especially one that's you know it was a powerful machine yeah so the, the games are actually quite in depth and i think you know it's quite exciting actually just delving into a new platform that you're not too familiar with and having like a whole new library of games or even 
different versions of games that you were familiar with, which, you know, back then, often you get various releases of games on different platforms, and they're often completely different. You know, it's not like yeah. now, where you'll get a game on Xbox One and PS4, and, you know, you have to kind of squint to see the difference between them. But then often you get, like, real different versions of your favourite games. So I think, for you know, just for that, I think it does interest me. Yeah, but then at the same time, the only games I can think of for it is Bonk. Mm. <laughs> that's literally it like i can't think of anything else right now so which was bc kid i think wasn't it yeah on, um, yeah, on I, Mega think Driver, right, I, yeah. <laughs> I think you had bomberman so. on it as well so <laughs> yeah well bomberman's in this picture on here so oh is it I think, you know, <laughs> there we go <laughs> the, the more of these devices we get that you know let you kind of play these games without relying on expensive aging hardware i think is fantastic and analog they've got a great reputation for you know doing it right so uh if you want to read more about that i'll uh, link up the article in our show notes at the retrohour.com Maybe a little bit more old school, though. Maybe sitting down and having a game of Pong is a bit more your style. Yeah, so this is the Atari Mini Junior, and uh, it's a little Pong device. And actually, it's really interesting because, you know, Pong was one of the first kind of big successful arcade machines. And this is a tiny device. It looks about the size of a mobile phone. And you can sit down and play with somebody opposite to you and interestingly this is a new collaboration from uh, atari so they're working with a new manufacturer which is called unis and um they want to partner with them so this is being created by a a new group unis technology and then it will be distributed uh with chinese and asian markets by them and one up arcade one up will be handling it in north america oh nice Arcade One Up already have distribution channels with the um, arcade machines that they have themselves, so this kind of fits in well with that like little arcade le- legacy, and it looks like a nice little device as well. Um, they've got AI in there, and I'm sure the AI is a lot smarter than the original <laughs> um, <laughs> Pong AI. Uh, it's got difficulty levels, a nice little LCD screen. It's is compact, and it's all run on uh, rechargeable batteries as well, which is pretty awesome. What I love about it is, you know, where it's like the key features of the Atari Mini Pong. You know, it's lightweight, it's compact, it's perfect for the home, office, and on the go. Imagine being on the train or a plane and, like, you pull out your switch and you look over and somebody pulls out one of these and starts playing Pong. Uh, I'll battle <laughs> so you. You're right, I would. Yeah, that could work, yeah. <laughs> it's just funny to think that, you know, it's like an on the go, but yeah, it is. It's, it's only 7.9 inches, so a little that's bit That's like bigger. an iPad mini size then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And it's got the actual like paddles as well like the actual dials little, little, little wheels yeah yeah which They're are really cool. cool yeah that's one thing so, i mean i played the original pong cabinet the one they've got um up in leeds at arcade club up there and uh that was just you know me and my friend were there we obviously played all you know we we're playing on golden axe and street fighter and all that kind of thing but then when i spied that original pong cabinet i said, said to my mate paul i was like should we ever go on that we were on it for about half an hour it's one of those where it's oh just one more go and you know obviously i did a full interview with al alcorn that we ran on the podcast a bit earlier this year yeah uh, the man behind pong and when i was talking to him i said to him you know in terms of video games and multiplayer to this day that game is one of the most adrenaline-fueled multiplayer experiences that I've ever played. Just so you know, when you see the uh, the opponent's ball flying towards your paddle, <laughs> and you know you're going to miss it, that feeling of dread. It's like, <laughs> it still does it for me, Pong. I think it's still great fun. Yeah, I really want to try one of these out, and uh, maybe we can get one and do a little Pong battle. 
that'll be good for when <laughs> when this COVID's over because I doubt I doubt that's two meters. Or... <laughs> <laughs> they got a really slick launch video as well. I don't know if you've seen it. Loads of neon and everything as well. So uh, I love yeah, that. Loads does... of neon and stuff for Pong, <laughs> black and white. <laughs> <laughs> that proper eighties look to it as well. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's no release date or pricing for it yet. I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to be a very expensive machine, but they're saying that it should be available in time for Christmas. So, um, you know, we'll make a, a nice little Christmas stocking filler this year, I think, that. Now, Ravi's been keeping busy recently. You're involved in this um, little project that you've been telling me and Joe about all this week. A brand new Amiga magazine, a printed magazine on paper that attempts to hark back to the days of stuff like Amiga format and CU Amiga is going to be coming out soon, and you're involved in this. Yeah, so out of disclosure, I'm the deputy editor for it. And actually, uh, Jonah Naylor, who runs Simulant Systems as well, he's the editor, graphics designer, and staff writer. So he's kind of come up with this project. And for like a couple of months, he was saying, Ravi, I've got this idea. I've got this great idea. And I was like, oh, what is it? And then he finally dropped it on us all. And it and it, and it it seems fantastic. It's like I've been missing something with magazines, which has been the kind of cheekiness and stuff like the the letters section and you know that 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 general magazine culture we're always on about it on this show yeah and we're trying to basically recreate that now to justify the printing of the magazine um we're going to need 500 pre-orders so we kind of know how big the market is how many we need to print we don't want to print too many and uh if we don't hit that number everyone will get refunded as well so it's not like you're kind of just committing to chuck your money away. But what you receive is 54 pages, full A4 magazine uh, with community written pieces as well. So for the first like issues, we're going to get people from the Amiga community because it's really blowing up and getting passionate at the moment. We want to get them involved, um, edit their pieces, put them in, and then have professional interviews alongside them. Staff written articles, we're going to cover like New uh, new and classic gaming, uh, software and hardware, demo scene, all of these kind of cool things that, uh, you know, you've kind of been missing out on getting a nice little physical uh, magazine and getting it actually posted through your door. So I hope that we hit this number. And uh, to help us out, you could go to Amiga-addict.com. I love the logo as well. because I mean, it looks very similar to the Amiga format font. Yeah, and it's all done on Amiga. The whole magazine is produced on PageStream, which is an wow. Amiga piece of software, which is uh, <laughs> even even crazier. Because, I mean, you sent me some of the page mockups over, and it looks incredible considering it's done on, like, 25, 30-year-old machines. So I remember even back in the day, there was a video um, where they're going around Future Publishing, and they're going to Amiga Formats offices, and, you know, they're actually showing the machines that they worked on then. And all of those mags back then were made on Macs in Quark right. Express. They're all hiding in shame, like hide, covering yeah. up the Mac. Like, no, we do it on an Amiga, honestly. <laughs> I love magazines anyway. I mean, I read Retro Gamer every month, but that's about the only mag that I really get these days so having another one that you can just you know take in the bath with you and read and stuff is just great i think yeah hopefully we'll get this number and you know if you go on the website you'll be able to read some articles already that we've created so you get a kind of idea of what the magazine's going to be like and i think joe will have to 
get a subscription ready for his Amiga Mini. I was, I was literally thinking, like, <laughs> they should interview me and I should just be like, I don't know anything about Amiga. <laughs> well, well like, like you said, it, it, it's kind of going to be your gateway drug. So if you're becoming yeah. an Amiga addict, then you need a gateway drug, don't you? <laughs> this could be it. I was just reading it as well. I was like, I should probably back this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, definitely make it happen, everyone. You know, if you want a good... Uh, physical Amiga magazines. I, I do miss those. I mean, the last one I bought, I think, was I got a few Amiga Future issues when, you know, I see them at shows and Yeah, stuff. they've been running for eight years. They're German-based. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they've been going. But they're every every two months as well. So, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, like, there'll be half the amount of those coming out. But they're still great. And they cover a lot of the more modern stuff, don't they? Not the classic Amiga stuff, which, you know, I'm more into the old-school stuff these days, if I'm honest. Um, I think the last one I bought regularly was, like, Amiga Active, that must have been, what, 20 years ago? 2001 that was, but then yeah. they have Total Amiga. Do you remember that one? That was a Southeast uh, Amiga um, group or no, Amiga Link, yeah. Uh, that, yeah, but there hasn't been many in the last 20 years here in the UK. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, if you're a fan of those mags back in the day, definitely support this, Amiga-addict.com. Now, while everyone's getting hyped for the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox One Series X that everyone keeps going on about at the moment, we're a bit more excited for... Uh, these classic games, like, for example, maybe you want to run The Last of Us 2 on your original PlayStation. <laughs> so this is a great article, which is uh, it's called Demaking in the Year of the Next Generation, and it's on um, Eurogamer. Now, they're talking about, we love demakes on this show. Absolutely. Explain, explain what a demake is for people that might a not know. A demake is taking a, a modern title, a cool new game, and then kind of putting it onto a lesser system or it could be an older one so like the greatest one that i loved was halo 2600 yeah. which was halo taken down to the atari 2600s like down to the bare minimum but um this article they talk about ones i've not seen before and uh, i don't know if you've heard of this this one's definitely for joe a soundless mountain too yeah i i hadn't heard of this this is really cool when you sent me this i was watching it thinking it was brand new, going, oh my God, I want to play this. I hope this comes out on an <laughs> NES cart. But yeah, essentially, Soundless Mountain 2 um, is a demake of Silent Hill 2. Um, and it just looks amazing. Like They've captured the essence of it so well. But it turned out it was actually made in 2008. Um, wow. And it's just kind of resurfaced again, you know, in this article. But a lot of it, what I found was really interesting, is a lot of people, you know, making The Last of Us Part 2 as a demake for like PS1, um, there's another one like you know Resident Evil 2 uh, the remake but then demade into which makes no sense because obviously it's a remake <laughs> but remake it was, and demaking it yeah like it was just really interesting but what I didn't know about it and it's actually something that we've touched on before in the show and then I was like oh yeah it's all coming back to me they're being built in from what I understand from what Ravi was explaining to me in PS4 software in something called Dreams yeah yeah so Dreams is this uh kind of software and it's it's designed to work uh, be a toolkit um that works within the ps4 environment mm. but they're wanting to make it so you can release your own dreams titles like as legitimate titles themselves yeah now this guy obviously he's been remaking them but he's been doing small levels his name's barely regal on um youtube <laughs> and uh he's been Kind of making them, but you know, he probably can't get away with this because a lot of the rights he's, you know, he's, he's made here cyberpunk 1997. 
amazing. <laughs> Which is based on the kind of cyberpunk demo. So uh, I don't think you'll be able to release these fully, but it's really interesting to see that you could kind of make these games inside the PlayStation architecture. You know, it reminds me of uh, Net Euros. Yeah, that I, that's the blue PlayStation 1, isn't it, where you could make your own games and they came out yeah black the, one yeah and yeah you the black kind of program yeah. yeah and it came out on the uh demo discs didn't it the full games would come out on them and stuff and i think it's a crying shame that they don't they can't release them you know like you say it's all because of league like legalities and stuff like that but when i see these like i'm like i'd love to buy an nes cartridge and play that you know i'd love to buy a ps1 version of the last of us 2 <laughs> so and it looks really good as well they, they like, do. the soundtrack they look so good yeah. <laughs> i was like i want really want to play that yeah it's like the sneaking around in the last of us works really well yeah definitely and you know we all love retro here i mean with the retro out at the end of the day so but i'm 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 sure there's places to find these on the internet so we can play them on our pcs and stuff but I'd just love to have that physical media and just play it, you know, just slap it in my PS1 or whatever. That would just be absolutely amazing. And I love the lengths that these guys go to as well. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'll, I'll link up the Eurogamer article all about D-Makes in the show notes. I mean, they're talking about um, a guy called Nicholas in here who's actually, he did the um, the Scum Engine. Mm. He's actually remade it in Pico 8. <laughs> That's kind of. And he's done like games like Monkey Island in there and he's done Maniac Mansion. But he talks about the fact that to do that, he actually tracked down LucasArts' old internal tutorial files. And he actually tried to make it, you know, even the programming interface as closely recreated to the original as possible. So there's a lot of attention to detail goes into these. I love these like passion projects, you know, where people are just coding for the sake of coding or for like pushing something to its limits. It's really nice. Now, before we chat to this week's special guest, Dar O'Brien, who will be on in just a moment, um, let's talk about this um, a game-breaking glitch that's been found by someone quite unlikely in Pokemon Sapphire. Yeah, so I, I don't know if you know about this phenomenon. So a lot of people kind of, uh, they do different things when streaming. So I think it was Let's Play Pokemon was one where they had an audience that would decide uh, on the controls. Now, this guy's actually got a fish. <laughs> He's got a fish. He's created a, a grid. And then wherever the fish goes, his pet fish on the grid, it will then start to play Pokemon Sapphire. So essentially the fish swims around in front of the A and B buttons and the up, down, left, right. And whatever it kind of <laughs> swim past, it then does on the stream on the game, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. It's been doing So it. the fish is playing the game. So the fish is <laughs> playing the game and it's been playing it since October 3rd, apparently, being streamed. <laughs> but when Ravi sent me over this, like not only is that fascinating and amazing, but it's actually found a game-breaking glitch in Pokemon Sapphire, which <laughs> yeah. has never been discovered before. <laughs> and, uh, so maybe it's the randomness of the fish it's that's so actually caught this. Essentially, it's like when you stand on this particular spot in a mount. I don't. I'm not familiar with the game. I love the original Pokemon game. Was it a game, game Boy game? Wasn't it? It was a Game Boy Advance game. Yeah, yeah, Game Boy Advance game it came out in 2002. So by that point, I'd stopped playing Pokemon. But essentially, you get. Uh, moves that you can use in the in the overworld like strength and fly strength being one where you push and break boulders out of the way and essentially when you're in this particular dungeon rather than moving this block out of the way it actually spawns another block and makes two blocks and breaks the game essentially like <laughs> and this fish accidentally <laughs> discovered it by just swimming over those button presses in that exact space so the chances of that happening are just like millions and millions and millions to one 
but this fish is called Morris and he found it. Maurice and he's found it. <laughs> it's it's amazing because we've seen AI playing games and mm. now we're seeing fish play games. Like I wonder what's gonna be next. You, you know, if my AI job <laughs> <laughs> You know, if my job was a video games tester. I'd be very nervous now. I just think you know, I have all these visions of like Nintendo just telling all their game testers, right, go home, bringing in all these fish tanks. <laughs> We've got a load of koi carp. <laughs> you guys have got to go home. We've got to save money. COVID's shutting us down. Get the fish in. <laughs> they never stop as well. I've never seen a fish asleep, have you? No. <laughs> I have one right, the- from the fair. <laughs> yeah, normally the next day. <laughs> right then, before our interview with the incredible Dara Breen, it's coming up in just a moment. Just time to give a massive thank you to our patron supporters. Now, we do have a patron that's running, and we've mentioned before the reason that we're doing a patron. I mean, essentially, we have a lot of pot of money that you know you guys very generously donate to, and that just means that it pays for stuff like equipment for us to do the show from home. It pays for the software that we use to record and edit, all the subscriptions as well, our website hosting essentially means that we don't have to pay to do the show which you know i've got um, it's quite a nice thing that you guys help us out and enable us to do the show every single week for you and dedicate time to getting these incredible guests on as well and of course you have a few perks for backing us on patreon as well we recorded and released our uh, first proper episode of our second podcast that we're going to be doing probably around twice a month Um, No strict schedule on it. We're going to try and get a couple of these out a month called the Retro Hour After Hours. And the first episode, people have been receiving this really well, actually. We've had some great comments on it. You came up with an idea to interview each other. And it was actually quite a laugh, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really fun. And like, I think it was just really laid back and chill. And I think there was a lot more swearing and stuff than it usually (laughs) was in it. And we just did it all in one take. You know, I mean, we're we're getting a lot better now. We've only, I think we've got one edit in this one, um, but usually... Don't give away the magic, yeah, I know, usually we have loads of edits and stuff, but it was just really cool sitting back and, you know, putting Ravi on the spot as well, asking him questions, which yeah, I thought it's, was Yeah, really it's you, you guys' turn next time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was really fun, and I'm glad people have been enjoying it and, you know, saying some nice things about it as well. And you can kind of find out a bit about kind of behind the scenes. I mean, I talked through, you know, we talked about the home studios. I went through in detail all the equipment that we bought and the reasons why we chose each piece. And also we uh, we do our kind of retro gaming pickups. You know, we, we chat about what we've been doing in terms of gaming over the last week. So essentially, this second show... We're going to experiment with the format. We talked about we might do a phone-in on there one week. Yeah. Um, we're probably going to do about our favourite consoles in a couple of weeks' time as well. So really, it's an excuse for us just to kind of, you know, break free from any format just turn the mics on for an hour and have a bit of fun with it, really. So you can check it out if you're a patron. It's exclusive to our patrons. And also we're going to be doing another patrons hangout this coming Sunday evening as well at 8pm. So you'll find the link for that in our patrons if you want to hang out with me, Joan Ravi, just, you know, kick back and chew the fat about video games, whatever. You know, we chat about all sorts of stuff on those once a month. You'll also get an ad-free episode. Um, sometimes you get the show a bit early as well. So there's a lot of perks for backing us, but really you're ensuring that this podcast continues into the future and of course for doing that you will get a mention in the very prestigious retro hour hall of fame like this week thank you to daniel james graham sinclair robin glennie chris snowden and the retro channel who all made donations into the running of the show and you can do the same back as on patreon at the retrohour.com right we'll have more news for you on next friday's show and next we get the inside story on go 8-bit talking gaming memories with the legend that is daro brian next on the retro hour selling a little or a lot 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom. You're listening to the Retro Hour and I'm here with Dara O'Brien. How are you doing, Dara? I'm very, very well. Lovely to be on the show. Ah, thanks. And we've got a question that we always ask our guests first and that was, what was your first kind of gaming experience or first gaming memory you actually have? Um, the first, I'm trying to, like, um, yeah, I, I, the dates get a little bit foggy, um, but I think the first thing, I remember meeting my dad walking as he carried, tried to secretly carry an Atari 2600 home from Argos <laughs> on a holiday to England when we were about 10 or something. And he was, and he was like, oh, you weren't supposed to see this. <laughs> and, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so we were trying to palm the surprisingly hugely boxed Atari 2600. That, uh, yeah, 2652. The, uh, the one with the oak paneling. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so the uh, and he he purchased that, like, whatever. I think before then, it was like, they were very rudimentary stuff. You know, there because I, you guys sound younger. Yeah, the, uh, you would occasionally go on a school trip to the library that had a computer. Mm. And you would see the computer and you could maybe take a turn to touch the computer. And it was like, you know, like a school pet or something. You get to maybe just pass the computer on one of the keys. Um, and so I've, I think I've played games on an Apple II. That's probably about as rudimentary as I've gone back or some early PC type, you know, you know, some early 8068 motherboard, whatever the type things, you know. Early, there was a, a friend of mine whose dad was a computer scientist and he had a, a, a drawer filled with cassettes that had names of Im- amazing sounding games on them, which were dreadful when we loaded them up. And there's a, on some computer where they're just so obscure and so built for a specific purpose. And this was not, not this is not the purpose. This is real people writing space war type stuff. Yeah. So early, 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 early. We had a binatone briefly as well. Oh, one of the uh, Pong kind of The Pong machine. binatone, yeah. And that disappeared... Um, it, it got bundled in with something that we were a TV we were renting or something. So it was after the Atari, but it was still. So I still play, I played Pong on a Binatone. You know, just to really establish where I am in the in the absolute, you know, caveman uh, kind of element of this, like the Jurassic era that I was in. <laughs> well, well I, my first machine was my brother's twenty six hundred. Actually, uh, what kind of games were you playing on there? And uh, uh, a lot of combat. Your, 
imagination? Um, a lot of combat, which was um, the one that could bundle free with it, which you were either an airplane or a tank, and the motion was very similar for both. But I do remember some uncle pontificating, oh, it's, it's very good for teaching them about angles because it was a, there was some mode on combat where you drove your sluggish tank around and then you could bounce ca- um, cannon shells off walls to hit other tanks. Um, and that was, you know, it was, it was, it was quite compelling, but it was, uh, if, if, if it lacked in realism slightly. So we played a lot of that. There was a night drive game on the Atari, which was just, you'd see two pillars on either side of the road coming towards you or a series of pillars. So it would snake along and you'd start to stay within the pillars with your, mm-hmm. and, and all you do is you move the pillars or anything, the thing you were driving stayed the same. You know, the, uh, uh, there are lots of workarounds in that and occasionally you go, you crashed. <laughs> you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I remember the really sound effect. <laughs> yes. The, uh, so it was, it was rudimentary, but combat was a big one, actually. I haven't, you know, I'm not going back. It must have been something else, but we never bought like Space Invaders. Oh, really? Or, or Pac-Man. It was very, because they were like a thousand pounds for a game. Like, oh, you know, it, it was a bit like, people forget, for example, how expensive movies were to buy. Mm. Uh, back in the mid eighties, where it was, it was forty five pounds to buy a new VHS of something. Mm. So nobody, you know, to buy ET was sixty pounds, like whatever. So nobody bought it. These things, you know, you rented the, uh, but it was a uh, um, things were just ludicrously expensive by comparison. To and, and the ports for the Atari of those like commercial titles were really bad as well. <laughs> oh, well, see, look, see, because I had. Yeah, I've done a little bit of uh, space invasion in the arcades. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have any that much disposable money at that age. I was one of eight, so to have, so I've had a go. I think for some reason I always associate with space invasion with ferries between D- the Dublin port and Hollyhead in Wales because there were there those machines were sitting around. Um, but it was yeah, and the womp 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 thing I, I associate with that. But the and killing four hours on a rough sea, but. Um, it was so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's quite a different, it's a different atmosphere to recreate in your in your house. But uh, <laughs> no, I never played uh, Space Invaders. I thought Space Invaders was supposed to be quite good. What I always loved, by the way, independent of all these, was the promise of 152 different games, which were just modes that were slightly marginally different. Just, Basically, the, do you remember that? Yeah, I It'd remember. It'd be like the doubles on... Um... On the biotone machine, or you'd have a yeah, just different combinations of exactly different, no, the it, same. Atari game. used to do it all the time, where you'd buy any Atari game and it would have a number in the corner, and the number in the corner was a number of different games within that cartridge, and they were uh, they were just like you're at the top of the screen, and now the aliens are at the bottom of the screen. It was just it was just <laughs> tiny flips of the same engine done in, in loads of different ways, like whatever. And uh, I mean, because Combat had 27 different games, but really hit it two, but it just put the walls in different locations and stuff. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're great for fitting in what felt like different. You click, th- you physically click through the different, op- I, for, if someone had, it's all wood. It's all, the joysticks were wood. The television was wood, <laughs> screen was wood. That it was all just very steampunk in my memory of it being very kind of clank into the next mode and then the thing would rotate around but the uh, uh but yeah so we, we never we never shelled out for the bit for pac-man or anything no was there much of a an irish gaming scene where you grew up then there were kids in my class who would play games that'd be the, the extent of the scene we'd no other way of finding other people around ireland uh, was sufficiently small that it was very tough to get independent um mm. magazines and stuff off the ground uh, i think so um the you know most of stuff we got shipped in. Um, I sent a tweet to Julian Rignall uh, the other day, 
um, who wrote for Zap sixty four mm. um, because he he retweets the co- the covers of them, and I subscribed to it um, uh, when I had a Commodore sixty four, and so Zap would come through the door. But it was that kind of thing. We read um, uh, we, we we read the English magazines. No, there was there wasn't as far as I know anything particularly uniquely Irish. I may have missed like I was again young, so there may be a, a huge scene of coders making bedroom games. But I don't think anything ever got through. Well, we got asked by a listener uh, because you were raised in Bray. Did you go to Dawson's Amusements? I certainly did. That is a top quality question. Dawson's or the Star Amusements? Uh, and Star Amusements were kind of the ones that came. Dawson's was was uh, uh, the Grand Dame of the amusements. Far there was one, one in the middle. There's three of them at one stage. And Star was a new, uh, brash young buck of amusement arcades. Bray is a seaside town, um, faded glory uh, all through my youth. It's kind of it's settled into its its uh, kind of uh, sta- status now. The uh, um, as a kind of a suburban town that happens to have a, have a prom that people can walk along. So so it's regarded as a positive. Whereas when I was there, it was like we're coming off the. It was coming off the point where it was where people genuinely went for holidays, and then during the seventies really wasn't and it was all a bit it's a bit you know it's a bit the smiths every day is like sunday that kind of just endless out of seasonness of it all but it had um arcades it had a number of arcades so um yeah kung fu was my game of choice in the arcade and i would often try to get down to the arcade early um, establish a fairly pitiful high score on yeah kung fu (laughs) and then lord it for like (laughs) <laughs> 20 minutes until somebody else arrived who could actually get past the third fighter in ER Kung Fu. <laughs> I hear uh, Boulder Dash was one of your favourite titles as well. Boulder would be, yeah, because I went, sorry, the, sorry, the, the, the journey was then um, Atari 2600, Vic 20. Mm-hmm. Have, has anyone come on with the, with the, a list of the amazing classic games of the Vic 20? Oh yeah, we've actually had some of the uh, Vic 20 developers on. <gasps> <laughs> yeah. Three and a half K. I mean, Miracles. Uh, there was a chariot race was the finally outstanding one. Don't know that ever got mentioned, um, which was a chariot race where you had to bump your guy into into a wall, uh, bump the other things into a wall. That was quite good. But it was if you can imagine the step from that into the Commodore sixty four. Wow, it was ludicrous. Oh my god, this with so many worlds, so many screens. That was the other great benchmark of games in the 80s how many screens did it have mm. um, it's crazy because they've just actually released a, a recreation of the vic 20 like a vic 20 mini uh console has just come out have they just, yeah insane so vic 20 is still available in the stores oh my god i'm sorry i'm literally writing that down i am um, i is that like <laughs> i'll find it on one of any major internet uh, it was the guys that did the c64 mini which, so which i of- only had out the other day because i was showing it to my nine-year-old uh, who was going? Wow! What what were the games like? And I go, let take let me take you on a journey, take you on an incredible journey into Put Fortnite. Down, let me show you this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If all the servers fail, then don't worry, Paradroid will still be here. Uh, that we can we can do. But the uh, uh, so yeah, wow. I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I've written a box on there, but the, uh, I'm definitely getting that because it, it's it, even on emulators, it isn't the most popular emulation by any stretch of the imagination. The, yeah, uh, we were quite surprised when they released it because we were like, is there going to be that much of a demand for the VIC-20? But there seems to be a, a good fan base for it. Oh, I, I, you know, I mean, even the, the, the 64 games look a little bit rudimentary now. I cannot imagine. I'd imagine you plug it in once is what happens. Uh, and then you go, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, some of the games were dreadful on it. 
uh, just really, you know. Um, but that was look, that all got forgotten when the minute the Commodore sixty four arrived, and then we were into the world of we we're into genuine quality. Just like, well, they're into stuff. Yeah, Boulder Dash. You were going to say Boulder Dash? Yeah. Uh, Bulldash is, uh, I think, is a, is a Stone Cold classic. Uh, I have about seven different emulated versions of it uh, dotted around iPads and stuff because I'm trying to track down the mouthfeel, as they say. I want to track down the exact kind of sense of playing it, The um, uh, which has pr- proven to be surprisingly difficult, actually. I can I either have I either have a good emulation machine that has a good joystick and I can't get the C64 emulator to run very well in it, or I have, with the best one in the world, I quite love that little, I love that little C64 emulator, but the joystick is a bit, isn't great on it um and there's i have a strong ache for and this is another word i've i haven't said in 30 years micro switches oh yes yeah and the <laughs> little click the little click you'd get there was one company who used to make the rolls royce of um of of joysticks um and god but if you can is remember competition the name the pro hmm? or competition pro maybe okay hang on now did they, they didn't do the quick fire did they uh, I think they were the rivals to the Quickfire. Yeah, Quickfire, Quickfire was massively overrated to the respect to the people who did it. Quickfire had the molded hand, the like about seven different fire buttons, and had a, a rapid fire button that you could click on, which is mm. regarded as it, it was like the Predator football boot, is regarded as slightly cheating to have this. The um, but but Quickfire was actually a bit wobbly and jerky. These it might be the um, what do you say, Competition Pro? Yeah, and they had a series of they one which was. I can only describe it to you. It was molded like a shell. Let's say it was. It had it had one button in the middle of the of the uh, in the middle of a kind of a, it was like a teardrop shape. Yeah. Uh, with the fire button at the top and the joystick below it, so your hand was molded and your thumb naturally fell onto the fire button, uh, and then obviously the other hand uh, was holding the joystick. The uh, and that was a lovely design. But then they had another one which was like a beautiful square, two buttons. And then, a, and it was black, but the, the joystick itself was red. And when you moved it, it had a satisfying click, 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 as the little switches registered what you were doing. That was a Christmas present in 1985. And, and it was much adored. Uh, the, uh, I mean, the anticipation alone of it, but like, oh, it was a, it was a beautiful thing. Can't get, I'm sure there's a USB version of it somewhere. I'm now writing down Competition Pro. This is really great. This is essentially just <laughs> shopping list. <laughs> Competition Pro. I've got to, I've got to start it out. But they, those things were, were, I think, a beauty. I mean, I don't think modern controllers have anything on that, anything on that. They, no, uh, since, since like the Wii, you know, the Wii Mote was kind of really yeah. innovative, but everything else has just been a gamepad. There's not really been any look, kind of this, crazy this thing. thing. I mean, and look, look I, I enjoy, you know, a, or a giant 40-hour adventure as much as the next man if I ever get the chance to play them. But the I enjoy polygons and, you know, being able to know that everyone I shoot in, in Call of Duty has a different, slightly different eye colour. I enjoy that as much as anyone. But there is something... Um, I remember when the Wii was the Wii was so intuitive. I remember my wife, uh, there were, I think it was pre-kids, uh, the Wii, it was... Uh, uh, oh, she's got this is great fun. Is there anything on the other those other machines? And you go, oh, no, 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 they're, they're not the ones, inside. they're the ones, if you, if you reach further around, there's another set of buttons underneath there. And then you, got, then you can touch the middle bit and you can touch the side bits. And then you can actually, the bit you put in your thumb, you can, you can actually press that in as well. So it's like, this is, this is, if you come from nowhere, there's like, this is nonsense. And some of the flight simulator stuff, like I know that's just coming back because Microsoft flights. Oh, they have, gone, right, but they, yeah. they were insane, weren't they? <laughs> just yeah, we don't need to actually be a plane, presumably. 
Because <laughs> I always have I was saying I just people wanted to go daka 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 and do spins and 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 yeah anyway <laughs> uh, just you know do that thing where you flip your hand up into goggles over your eyes you know, <laughs> and shoot things um and a very simplistic view of, of how these things should work the uh there was a game on the Commodore 64 called Mercenary which people don't remember do you remember that I don't know that one uh, no. yeah yeah the That's one somewhere. where you land on a planet it it's it was it was done in wireframe. Yeah, and you fly, and there's a whole planet of you flying around, and and, and there's an area that you land, your, your your ship lands, and you have to get off the planet basically. So you get a, so you can in various locations on the planet there are underground tunnels and areas in which you find items, and there's there's some danger. I can't remember what the danger is, but basically you're just meandering in an entire world, and it was just insane how big this world was because there's even bits where you'd fly off around the planet, and for no reason they'd built a, a like a a suspension bridge just in, in wireframe, just sitting some point of the planet like the, and you'd, you could fly around and under and around and over. And it was like, this is incredible. There's an entire world here. And that was the thing I always loved about games. I still do. is just the creation of entire worlds. Did um, you ever and, play Elite? At no, all? no, cause it's in the BBC. So I never, I mean, did it, did it flip over to Commodore 64 then some stage? It may have I, been when it was already. It must have been some kind of conversions, but yeah. that, that was so, crazy. Nev- I never got the Elite thing. And, um, uh, so the yeah, I, I and we read about it because you'd read C and VG, um, and uh, in in terms of ranking retro magazines, C and VG was two or three. Um, Zap was was clearly the best, and then there's one called Commodore User. Do you remember Commodore User? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Commodore User was notable in our school because uh, one of the boys in the class visited England, bought a porn magazine, brought it back, uh, <laughs> and it got it got passed around the class. Uh, what folded into the pages of an edition of Commodore User. And word about this got out and the song started, we all want to see your Commodore User. <laughs> so we walked in the school all day with all the children. You know, the teacher would, what's, what's up with this? Like, but we all want to see your Commodore User. <laughs> you know, the rhythm was perfect, but... There. <laughs> Fantastic. So that, if you can imagine, all of your um, 14-year-old obsessions came together in one, one beautiful moment. Sorry. Anyway, Baldur's Gate. Baldur's beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful <laughs> uh, balance of gameplay and uh, and discovery. And But you have to, again, you need a good joystick because it, it's quite precise. Um, there's a bit where you go down and have to quickly go left or right. Otherwise, a rock will fall on you. And that remains unbelievably irritating because it still does that in the, on, on the retro thing but the uh, um, but uh, yeah I mean lovely and then for some reason they, oh, they did a boulder construction set at one stage mm. um, where you could literally just fill the entire arena with diamonds and then just and it was like a bonus level you'd go oh ding 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 and run along and just collect all the diamonds fantastic um, but it was it was it was the, it was tough. It was tough finishing. It was 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 very very tough uh, as a thing. The other one I absolutely adored was uh, Impossible Mission. Yeah, and that I did actually start up again uh, last week, and it remains great. It remains fabulous. Just you know, they, I think the second one they, they ruined it by going isometric, but the first one was just there's something pure about how the man <laughs> and like the foley editing is weird on it because there's, he's running through these corridors, but it makes the sound of of gravel <laughs> as he runs and he goes, <laughs> as he runs through these clearly um, polished linoleum uh, marble corridors that he's running through, but it goes, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so smooth. The animation is so perfect, uh, and then. 
to the point that I can still, you know, go, and not a visitor, stay a while, stay forever, was the really difficult to understand um, speech uh, on the Commodore 64 that I had on it. But that remained a great game. Fantastic. So when 16-bit came around, how did gaming change for yourself? It disappeared. It oh, totally it? disappeared out of my life because uh, 16 because I had me going to university. So um, six, all of the first consoles, um, the well, it was it was SNES and all that all that stuff mm. like the uh, uh, ne- never played any of them because I was living the dream of being in university and uh, I, I just disappeared into a bubble for mm. five or six years uh, and so all of that I during all the episodes we do about it on Thingamajig um, go eight bit. Yeah. I'd sort of smile and a kind of a oh yeah yeah God yeah whoa that was, that was they were great weren't they um <laughs> never played it never played it so consoles I missed I think were um those Nintendos early Nintendos uh, the Game Gear the yeah. Sega ones all, all of those Pfft, sorry I was I was in my it was in Just my missed bubble. them all nah that's yeah. fair enough. Other things I missed uh, for those five years. Take that, totally missed. Take that. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't miss much, in my opinion. <laughs> well, you know, things different. Because later I realised that we like my fire as a banger. But the uh, it was things like that just w- went past you. You were just in in the thing. So I missed that completely. Uh, and what happened then was I um, got out of university mm. and ended up being a children's television presenter in yeah. Ireland because it was the it was a gig you can get when you're twenty three or twenty two. The uh, and. I said, hey, we should have some video games on this, like whatever. And I got Sony Ireland to send me a PlayStation. Oh, and brilliant. then I brought this into a shared house. And I said, look at this thing. And the PlayStation 1 appeared. And that's where it all began again. I was going to say, our next question was what actually got you back into gaming? It was it was the excuse of uh, having a sequ- uh, have a thing. It was just a kind of, hey, why don't we do an, an item of gaming? Mm. It was all to unbelievably... Um, really, are people interested in the in the world's largest entertainment industry? I don't know. <laughs> um, the uh, so it, it, and it couldn't be as improvably pointed out that this is yes, it's the biggest thing in people's lives then as it, as it could now. But we still did that, and so we came in just in time for Tomb Raider, um, for uh, FIFA ninety eight, um, for Tekken two, and that was the stuff that. And also, it helped then that I was living in a house share, and so there's always people around who wanted to play. To that one. You must have been like amazed, kind of coming from that period, and then checking out the latest titles where they're full interactive pieces with oh yeah soundtracks. Oh yeah, geez, the reflection going from to you know in college the odd kind of you know there was there was the odd arcade machine dotted around like whatever the uh, um, oh Packland was another a complete obsession of mine that uh, as well for 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 a long time Packland. Sorry, this is jumping backwards a bit, but are you, are you familiar with Packland? I presume. Right, it's a, it's, a, it's a side-scrolling platform game starring Pac-Man and his world. And is it the one where he's got like a wife and a kid? And yes, it's a little bit of a point <laughs> animated, and click, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's kind of like point and click, but it's not. It's an, it's a platformer. No, no, no. It's, it's um, it's a uh, um, no, it's it's um, it's a platformer. It's it's, yeah. it's Mario, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, so that came been... out on the SNES and stuff as well, didn't it? Oh, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. No idea it's it. a yeah. sixteen-bit kind of an arcade thing. Yeah, um, if you'd like, I can sing you the theme tune because um, <laughs> it's in my head now, and, and it's not moving. Um, and I could go on, but uh, Packland. This is the amazing thing about Packland, right? The uh, it's a perfectly fine. Um, in my head, it's a bigger deal than it actually is in terms mm. of, uh, as a game, right? But it had this thing in it where you w- walk along, 
the Pac-Man's little road that he lives on. With all yeah, the and I, it's all coming back to me now. I, yeah, I, and, yeah, and the ghosts are all there being yeah. dicks about stuff and stopping you and killing you, right? So I don't know why he lives with the ghosts. That's never fully explained <laughs> why they would be in the area. like this. But they're floating around. Um, uh, and if you jump if you jump into them, but they'll you can get past them. They're, they're just like, you know, any of these kind of, um, kind of uh, platform game kind of uh, things. So you jump over them. But they're fire hydrants as well. They mm. used to jump over, right? And so he runs along and he jump. And if you jump at the right point, um, the cherries appear and you in, and you can collect five of them in a row and, and, the, and the points scale up as you're doing the thing, right? Because you're just going from left to right. Um, but amazingly, and I only know this because I saw somebody do it, and this is, whatever, 86, 87, I suppose this was the command, that uh, the second fire hydrant, the third fire hydrant, which looks no different to any other fire hydrants, um, if you turn around and go back and just push against it, it slightly moves... Um, about like three st- three pixels across or four pixels across, and a, a hat magically appears out and lands on your head, and then you can headbutt these floating ghosts and get more points. But there's it's no weird. indication of this, no warning. There's no. It doesn't look any different in any way. It is pure Easter egg. Um, and you kind of go, that's great, but in like the mid eighties, how does the word get around about that? I mean, equally that bit that and Steve showed us on, on Goipa, you know, when you on the whatever level of Mario that you can actually jump on top of the game area yeah. and just run along the top. Yeah, on the second level, yeah. Yeah. The um how did the word get out about that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because of you know, these days on Xbox and stuff, you get achievements and you literally get achievements that say, like, I bet you looked on the internet for this, because that's what people do these days. Right. But that right. is a very good point, you know. I, I I, I was born in the 80s, so when I my earliest memories of playing Mario, you just knew that you jumped over the pipe on the second level. Like, right. There's, there's no, like, I don't know. You just don't, I just don't remember who told me that or anything. It's just one of those things, like, everybody always knows. So I well, guess when you were a little bit... There were magazines, obviously, and they were yeah. seeding these things in magazines. So, like, I mean, there's, yeah, that's how the, the Nintendo, whatever, up, down, up, down, left, right, whatever, that was, you know, that the word got out about that. And they were built into the games. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting on the achievement thing. I remember meeting somebody who was, oh my god, what was that game that you it was loads of things? There were four hundred of these of these things you had to find dotted around the landscape. Christ, it was, it was like it's it's about ten years ago. You know, I know loads of them have done. I know Batman did, and loads loads of things have done. Like, yeah. have can you find the four hundred amulets or whatever? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it was one of the ones that really took it to extremes, like whatever. And I said, Jesus, how, why do you? Do that? And he said, Look, we started it as a kind of an indication to ourselves of where you went. Like we dot them around just so that when so we would see how far you got in the game and did people actually visit that area and it was just like and then people just got obsessive about them and now we have to design them in but it was originally just designed so that they they'd go oh look nobody goes to that or nobody does that so let's not let's not build something like that again in the yes. incredible kind of you know puppeteering of your brain that video games do at the end uh, this is just part of the feedback loop they had like and then people go oh where, where are the where's the 399th you know <laughs> with their trophy I gotta find it. You, yeah you've got me thinking of like batman arkham city now with the riddler yeah no because I, I actually did uh, the arkham city i think i went i got uh all but three of those because oh, um it was, the last three were like perform 
three double loops uh, and <laughs> land in the same place. These kind of things, you have to go to a high tower and, and float, glide for 750 metres. Well, yeah. the ones that were just like, oh, God, this is just a chore just to do this exactly It's right just moment. a chore. I think uh, one of the greatest memories for me is GTA Five when I was trying to 100% complete it and I was cleaning the bottom of the ocean from nuclear waste with a submarine and I was playing it <laughs> and I thought I could literally tidy my house right now. Oh, look, that was... <laughs> That was the thing. I, was, I, I had a, I had a routine with it was based purely on that thing in GTA. I, I got stuck in a bit in GTA where I had to drive to shoot somebody. Mm. Um, and then if you if you ran away, you'd have to do the drive again. Mm. And I was and you had to you had to go to a toll booth and pay at a toll booth. And if you drove quickly through the toll booth, suddenly you've got four stars and everyone's chasing you. And you're like, oh Christ, so you had to slowly line up the toll booth, pay three dollars, go to the thing, try to shoot this man. And I was I'm commuting to work here. <laughs> Why am I doing this from my own house? Like I don't even have a job in which I have to commute and I'm doing this in my spare time. The uh, anyway, sorry, we're bouncing around. Boulder Dash, we were talking about <laughs> have you I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this and like, have you seen much speed running? Because that is a total kind of destruction of that idea, you know, just finding yes. glitches, getting through there as fast as possible. I did. Cause I remember seeing as well, um, when somebody posted on the, look at this incredibly difficult Mario level, you know, the Mario levels somebody stuck online that had like just vats of oil and just one thing you had to just get exactly the right. People created these ones before, even before the Mario maker stuff like that. The, uh, yeah, the speed run thing is, is is the key to that just finding loopholes that you can get around? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's kind of finding loopholes, but then getting the best times. And now there's a full competition and like prizes and stuff, but they now get the developers on. So somebody's developed the game, they'll show them someone beating their level that they've spent like, you know, months building and some kid comes and beats it in two minutes. No, what they should do crazy. is they should bring in all the people who design the assets um, who designed the environment, who like literally paint the leaves on the trees um, and bring them in and have them sit with some kid who just wants to get through it as quickly as possible. And they're going, no, no, no. Did you not see that the see this cinema posters from the 1930s that I put up there as part of <laughs> Gang, don't care. Yeah, okay, <laughs> That'd be a good TV show. Eight minutes, 13. I can do the whole, I can do the entire game in four minutes. <laughs> Uh, I don't care with the fact that, but wait, you know, see that the sunlight actually arc through, it goes through the building uh, and then it casts a kind of a glow onto the, don't care. Uh, just trying to get to it as fast as possible. That's but, me yeah, sometimes. Yeah. So um, you touched on it earlier on about obviously, you know, the video game industry is pretty much the biggest media industry in the world right now. Why do you think video games are not taking it seriously as an art form and so often disregarded? It's, it's bizarre I, because the, bit of, the easy answer is that it, it was a thing that was generally people did when they were 14, mm. but didn't stop doing as they got older. Uh, and I, that makes sense if the industry was only four years old and it was just people who were in their teens uh, doing it uh, or just boys doing it or whatever way you want to narrow it down uh, cornerly. But the, uh, but the fact that we're an entire generation through this Mm. is a bit that bewilders me, like whatever, because I'm talking about, I'm 48 now. I, I get to play less because I've got kids. I don't have time to do all the, mm. the long ones I enjoy, but I still consider myself a gamer. The, uh, and also I've been doing it for 35 years. Mm. So there's no, there's, we, we've gone through the bit where now we're rearing children and I can't, I can't do the intellectual distance to go. Oh, look at him on Fortnite. God, I wouldn't, you'd never find me doing that because you totally would have. Um, yeah. They, uh, so it's it, it's weird to me that that it continues. I don't think it's as 
a comment, particularly because if you say to people, no, did you, you, you probably played Candy Crush on the train here, like whatever, or, you know, you probably got something, some little apps, I think, have broken that down completely yeah. where people just download a little thing, a little casual gaming, and you can go, there you go. Sorry, you're in, you're in the gang now. The, uh, but uh, the one I remember doing an interview once, because um, I do the BAFTAs, and mm. uh, every year there would be an interview I'd have to do, and every year I'd have to sort of fight that fight a bit. Um, mm. and go, well, actually, it's the largest entertainment in the world or whatever. And it's a really, really big, and we're here in whatever hotel or all of yours wearing tuxedos. It's a, this is, you know, we'll, we'll, pro, we'll see if, the, as in, like, it'll be years that were the single largest release, bigger than Harry Potter, bigger than whatever, Star Wars, would be whatever Call of Duty would come out, and that would be the single biggest entertainment product of the year. So there's, like, you'd go, look, this is a, this is clearly a thing, right? And I do have about three or four times. And then I did one for Sky News where the guy says, do you know what I hate? And I'm going, here I go. And he goes, when you're online, and then, and then, and he lists off some perfectly normal thing, and you, oh, but then you get shot, and you're aware, and then the guy's hiding, and he's just sniping, and you're like, oh, okay, so we're just talking about this normally now. Okay, that's fine. Yes, I do know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's so. I remember it, it switching a bit, like whatever. So you, I, I got, I got less and less as, as years went by of that, but I remember it very definitely being a thing. The first time I did the Baptist, where I said, "This is ridiculous. That's your huge industry," and like people going, well, "Thank you for saying that." You're going. Did it really? It needed to be, and it was an interview. It was making all this stuff, but just always felt that I didn't get the. I mean, I don't want to see them turning brash. I don't want to see them losing the run of themselves and mm. like going around the place, going the where and, and like stamping on bookshops or something. Uh, <laughs> you know, like see that that's the future, right? So, yeah, but uh, kicking, you know, kicking CDs in the faces of, of people. But the uh, it's uh, uh, but it's yeah, it's it 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 was weird that it, it took so long for people to get over that. Mm. Yeah. Do you think TV's attitudes kind of changed towards gaming? Because when we talked to Charlie Brooker, he said TV kind of saw gaming as a bit of a rival. Well, there was, I remember um, years, this is again, 10, 12 years ago, there was, I um, chaired a panel in what's called in the Edinburgh Television Festival. And there was somebody there from, is it Double T, TT uh, Games, did all the Lego stuff? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, Traveller's Tales. Traveller's Tales, yeah. The, uh, and, uh, they were there and it was a general panel about, you know, interactive media and uh, blah, 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 and all this stuff, like whatever. And one of them, it came to him and he's talking about, the, you know, how you how design and all that, blah, blah, blah. And, and then one of the producers raised like a weary hand and went in a real, okay, I'll bite, uh, you know, in a kind of a, okay, well, I suppose we could make a game to go alongside, you know, Coronation Street or whatever the, uh, that they were making, or it's probably some, something far less iconic, but the, uh, all right, the hand went up and said, uh, so how much would it cost to make one of these games? And your man from TD goes, well, for a, like a big budget um, major release, it'd be like $90 million. <laughs> and it was just the whole room went, I was like, what? And he said, yeah, there's like a hundred people working for two years on this. Like, yeah. And so, and I, there was such a pause that I stepped in and said, yeah, yeah, he, he's the daddy here, not you. The, uh, he's, you're, you're, you're actually, you have to go to him, not him to you uh, for this. The, uh, so I think the, they, they never quite got it. They, cause they thought it was, it was disposable to a huge extent. The, uh, but it's, um, uh, yeah, I think they have more of, a, more of a sense of the hugeness of it now. Uh, than they did. The in terms of covering it and doing it, it does still lack, I suppose, from the communality of of, of experience that there being moments that everyone shares. Um, mm. 
in a way that you're just like, I mean, I've never seen The Revenant, but I know somebody gets attacked by a bear in The Revenant. Yeah. You know, that's an example I used to, I used to quote. The, uh, because you can see, show a clip of a bit of it. The, um, it's more difficult to show a clip of a thing. You've got to come across a bar like that. You know, the dog jumping through the window in Resident Evil or whatever. The, uh, there are there are things, but they're, they're, you know, it's you have to achieve the, 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 the brilliant thing. I mean, it's very difficult to bring somebody all the way to, to go, look, I suppose we, we actually weirdly, sorry, I'm, I'm gathering my thought here. Um, now it's easier because you'll say to people, oh, you've got to stick with this for two series and then it gets good. And people are used yeah. to that conversation as a thing going, oh, no, I know the first series isn't great, but if you stick with it, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so you could probably go, no, play the entire way through uh, Portal. And then there's this song at the end and it'll just break your heart. They, uh, um, and people might be more open to that as, as a thing. But I think it just it lacked two things always. It, it lacked that communality and it also lacked visible stars. Mm. Uh, and visible attractive stars in evening wear um you know being so you can print pictures of people and so it's, it's amazing how much of the media is is there a, is there a picture of somebody looking good in an evening dress you know yeah. do you think there's more kind of gamers within tv personalities and celebrities that just hide the fact that they're gamers yeah i like i don't because it's not and i'm just saying what i weird find weird is i'm still doing the baftas i did it again for the 10th time recently and you're kind of going surely now look i mean i, I know show business there must be a younger version of me coming through like uh, who can do this for you they uh, i mean just i'm waiting for the shoe to drop as it were for them to go listen it turns out, uh, name hot young comic uh, of the moment is also a gamer, so we're going to go with them. The, uh, so, but it is kind of weird that that doesn't happen more than the, than it than it uh, does because, particularly for comedians, because Jesus, we all do. It, but the uh, but um, uh, yeah, I suppose. I mean, but everyone is kind of a gamer now, so it's. Uh, I suppose it's uh, uh, it's difficult to differentiate. Like the uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is a weird thing. I mean, and also because I remember having a conversation once about this on. Breakfast television again, the run of the baffles, and they said, Oh, but it's not a lot of time spent sitting in a room with a screen. And I said, Oh, that's an interesting point. I mean, have you seen the West Wing? And they go, Yeah. I said, Well, that's 112 hours of sitting in a room <laughs> with the curtains closed watching a screen. Why is that weird? Why is that different? Why is that better somehow then? You know, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it, it gets held to a very different standard sometimes. Gaming's kind of, it's been innovative for a long time, but it's also got a lot of set standards and we know you were on room 101 so we were wondering like what kind of standard or gaming idea would you put in room 101 um fishing in bins for food um that got on my nerves a lot um i mm. think it was the second bioshock that i stopped playing because i was tired of looking in bins for bits of pineapple <laughs> slightly improved my health and you're going okay like i finding food anyway is really irritating there's a level of realism i don't need i don't need to stop what i'm doing to deal with this thing but like that was we had to stand next to the bin and and, and a counter was like you found and it was it was somebody who's pineapple it irritated me because i like pineapple um so i don't feel i should forage for it you know i just go to marks and spencer's they get they get the stuff shipped in it's great uh it's one of the joys of modern life but uh there seemed to be a lot of that um, and like forcing you to, um, you know, the 
finding scraps of why these characters kept recording <laughs> messages to themselves with bits of plot in them. I go, I, I found quite funny. The uh, Resident uh, Evil. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. And like, again, Bioshock loads of this, loads of like, uh, you found a cassette tape. Ah, my experiments are going very well, but there's some strange results at the edge. I must investigate further. This is like <laughs> slight foreshadowing of the plot that would appear like the, uh, uh, in stuff. So when it's done well, don't get me wrong, when it's done well, there was a bit in Portal 2 where um, it's, you are in place, J.J. Simmons. His name is J.J. Simmons, isn't it? Um, the actor was playing the, the eccentric millionaire and who, mm. and every, every area uncovered tracked the descent of the company uh, and said, uh, gentlemen, you are the finest astronauts and engineers and what we're going to do here. And then it, it went to, we're going to give you $10 to get you out of the rain. We're just going to do a few experiments. And then if you survive, you can go back to the streets. So it was like you could track the decay of the company because it's really brilliantly written. Uh, nothing. So when it works, it's great. But there's a lot of just, um, oh, there's a strange cloud. I'm, I don't know what to do. I wonder, is Emily safe? And there's a lot of that kind of stuff, which is, you know, <laughs> irritating. Um, the gig I always wanted in gaming was... Uh, to record the hints um, uh, that, you know, where an NPC would prod you in the direction, you know, Sarge, yeah. over here, this door, near the barrel, the bar- shoot the shoot the barrel, just shoot the barrel, which is <laughs> the point where I'm literally standing, unkillable, pointing at the barrel. <laughs> right. I'm shooting the barrel. There you go. Oh dear, you've just literally taken me back to like PlayStation 2 so much there. there, there we had um, one of the guests we had on, um, uh, with the guest uh, kind of like presenters, um, award presenters, was the actor who played, what's it called, Jock McTavish or something in in, uh, in one of the Call of Duties. Uh, mm. And he came and said, it's very, very nice to be here. And... Uh, um, you know, well done. Oh, this industry, blah blah blah. And I, we kind of had to sort of semi raise. I leaned and goes, J- just say the thing. And he went in, and he leaned into the mic and said, "Come at me." And <laughs> the whole room went, "Oh, I've heard that so often." Oh, like what he would, what he wouldn't do is he wouldn't crawl away, and I would crawl behind him. With the- <laughs> so it's a, yeah, but um, yeah. Look, th- th- those kind of things which were there for a reason. I remember having a conversation that uh, we had some developers on at the uh, what you call it, Cheltenham Science Festival, and mm. they said, "Well, can we do? Will we do a video game?" I said, "Yes, you can." And actually, weirdly, I didn't know enough really to ask them the right questions. And the only time we really took off is we got into barrels and why barrels, and they said, "Well, just barrels are easy to draw." And like, so the barrels have gotten better, and when the when we had enough, when we could do it better, then they became chests or whatever. I think it was chests, then barrels, and when we could do curves, and then it became other stuff like whatever. And it was just because that was what what we could make. And so it had to be that for a while. The, uh, and so it's why it's great that these these things which become tropes or cliches are because, look, that's that's what we could fit in, the memory could take to three different types of barrels, so we were able to do barrels. Yeah, so, uh, Fantastic. I love it. So um, you were in Game Master magazine as the Game Master, what did you think of the was show? Was According I to think Rami. they did a little. They did a little recreation where they put your head as a. As oh, a, in, that in, kind the of, in the game, in the more thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God, I bet that was flattering. Because um, <laughs> it was never. Didn't I never saw much of Games Master? I think it was during the period where I wasn't uh, involved in that universe. Okay, so Games Master wasn't a big thing for me. The uh, and was it because it was him saying. 
him giving tips, him going, people would write in and say, I'm stuck at the, you know, I can't yeah. find the amulet. And he would go, first you must get the... He'd say, shoot the barrel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he would tell you where to go, yeah. He would do the gig. Presumably he knew nothing of what this was about. Yeah, we did an interview with Dominic and uh, Dominic said that uh, Patrick never actually... He just came in and did it in a box and then kind of knew nothing about games and would just read off this script and then disappear. Look, there are DJs who, uh, I, there's a, I name a couple here, I can name a couple in Ireland, who have been hosting the Pop Chat Show for 40 years now and deliver the same enthusiasm. It's Sean Mendez that they said, it's the Beatles, because that's the gig. They've got a good voice for it, you know. Um, but so, yeah, so I, yeah, I, I always thought that. I, yeah, I never quite saw the appeal of bringing that back. I mean, I was, the go eight bit thing was um, was appealing to a different thing. A, because we, we, we pegged it on retro stuff anyway, and we had to do the bit of history of things. Um, but also it was more about the interaction while playing. Um, and so the actual, again, if you peg, I think if you tie it to specific moments and try to make a topic, it's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. Uh, also, I think no, no, it's, it's so well serviced by the internet now. I think it's one of those things that doesn't do, it won't go on television because, mm. and, and I remember having this conversation with somebody who does these kind of podcast, uh, you know, a, a video blogger type thing where they go, well, I've got such and such number of thousands of followers and you're kind of going, yeah, how does that translate across? What's the... No one knows what the showbiz currency exchange is between what you do and what we do on television, how that, you know, moves across from one to the other. Like, it's so different from a thing. But the uh, but I think people would just naturally wouldn't go to a, a TV show for it. The, mm. uh, Was it a hard sell to get uh, Go 8-Bit going? Because I know Dave were looking at Red Dwarf and stuff like that at the time. Um, no, do you know what? I'm trying to remember how tough a process it was because there have been a couple of shows in Edinburgh doing games. Um, and I think um, there was the fact that we, I said, did it around something different. And we said it was, it was a vehicle to bring comedians together um, and have them just do a dreadful word, banter. Um, it was probably the way it was sold. If it was just sold when we'll do a history of games, probably not. But, you know, there's, there was always a glow about going back over the actual, uh, about those early things. Um, I, I, and, like, that was, that was one of the fun things about it. But, like, go a bit is a, at some point there'll be a short and and not very well uh, widely read history of go bit, which I will go, right, here's where it went wrong. Um, because it had, a t- it had a beautiful thing in the first series where it was two comics, the other two comics around them, me and Ellie being funny. And then, but you had that tension of, uh, oh my God, Rachel Riley is about to beat um, Russell Howard at football or whatever it was. Um, mm. And this is going to be really funny. And then we can show, we could we could spool back and go, no, this look, this is the bit where you're driving the wrong way around the track and they crashed into you coming the other way. And what the hell were you thinking there? And it was one of 300 people and it was a really, and it just, it hit exactly that mark of we're on couches just being silly and having fun. But with that whole, we're, we're performers, we're doing it in a tight way, uh, kind of thing that, we, that, we, that comedians do. Um, and then it moved studios to from the studios, and the studios it got shut down. And so the series one was done with 300 people in it. And series two, we had 40 people in some nights, uh, or 60 people. It was up in Boreham Wood. People wouldn't travel out to it. The audience, to be, they couldn't get a crowd into it. And it just drained the energy out of it. Mm. Uh, 
and it became this heartbreak of thing going, oh, this, this is this is so promising. This was this could have been Taskmaster. This could have run and run and run, uh, and then it got dumped into a into a studio, and then it just all. And then we started the booking started being like you know with the best of the world, coronation stars and reality people rather than comics. Mm-hmm. So it sort of became less funly performative and about the messing around and the tension. Um, and it was just really weird. I mean, there's a point where we had Susan Kalman versus David James um, and she beat him. And and he's there after going, I'm, I want, this is happening again. We're going to do this again. <laughs> the, uh, and you're going, this is, this is genuinely competitive. This is a genuinely fun, these are going to be memorable episodes. And then it just trailed away. It was really irritating. You could watch it happening because, and because the, the actual core event was suddenly in front of 40 people and you're geeing up 40 people. There was mm. one we did where there was, I think it was 50 or 60 people in one, day, one Tuesday evening. And we did the show and it was grand. Um, but, you know, it was always very stop-start because of the technical difficulties of jumping from console to console, from uh, generation to generation. Sometimes there'd be huge gaps where they tried to set up the VR or whatever. So we got to the end of the, a longish record and I said, okay, that was great. Thank you so much for saying this. We're just going to do a couple of little things, little pickups that we do at the end uh, just to, for the edit. So bear with us during that. And as I was saying that, an old woman who'd sat through the entire thing just got up and <laughs> picked up her coat and shaking her own head, walked out. And it was just, and I had the fit of the gig was watching this woman just walk up the stairs. The exact, it was at the back of the stairs the top of, the, of the audience and just not hang around for that. I've had enough of this. That leaving, you're going, great, this is what we're doing now. Uh, and thing, the, so the only thing that kind of kept it going was the design team remained brilliant mm. and they would make full like like eight foot tall copies of the nintendo of the atari joystick yeah um and or of the nintendo controllers that people would have to jump up and down on and make happen um by jumping onto the buttons um and they were like they were astonishing i don't know where they are they're somewhere in a in a war in a kind of warehouse somewhere there is an Mm. eight foot tall Atari joystick, and I should get it like the ink and head in the <laughs> Simpsons basement. I should have it somewhere in my home, have unexplained, <laughs> just sitting there quietly. The, uh, but that's that's not there, like whatever. And because the screen would come up, and we'd all go, "Oh my god, that's so amazing! What a beautiful thing you've done!" And then one stage, we designed a um, uh, flip lid. Um, two screen. The, it was the early Nintendo. Um, what do they call it again? The DS. Watch Go. Oh, the Game and Watch. Game and Watch. Game and yeah. Watch. I was excited. Game and Watch, and it was uh, Dara's hot potatoes, which led to a lot of you know me pointing at the racism inherent in that, um, and doing a silly voice to mock. Anyway, but. They had uh, Dara's Hot Potatoes. And uh, by the way, I, I will totally be talking about this on another uh, podcast because it was a thing, but <laughs> you can have it as well. Uh, but the point that made it genius, the point that made it absolute genius was when it started, just for a second, all of the numbers lit up. All of the different um, animated things lit up. Mm. Um, and it went eight 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 across the thing. And you could see all the different places that things could happen and be exactly like the real machine would. Mm. And that I remember quietly going, that's that's genius. No, very people will spot that. Will spot the care that went into going. Do you know what you used to do when you turned it on? The power would surge through it, and everything would light up just for a second, and then it would go into its mode. We're just going to stick that in and start just for a second. We'll have all other things light up, and you're going, oh, 
It's so like a problem. There, there, there was genius working on it, but I think those little moments got washed away by the fact that there were only 40 people in the audience. It was <laughs> it's such a shame as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, you know, your other career as a comedian. So you're one of the few comedians who use video games as a subject and you do it very well. Were you nervous about how people would take it and react to it? Yeah, I mean, you, you you don't, obviously, with any of these routines, you don't try them out immediately in a big room anyway. Mm-hmm. So you get to uh, to test them out and, and see how they how they go. So you're, yeah, no, but no more than a lot of other things. But I didn't think it would it would be the pit of the big of that show. And then, so it ended, up, it ended up going later and later and then being the finale of that particular show. And that particular show was, a, was a, a, like a particular favorite show of mine for the, the other routines were pretty strong. Uh, it, was, it was a nice one, that show. Uh, but um then it just became it just that bit of physicality at the end the like the uh, of what what is still I call the video game routine mm. um, because a because I think it was a nice you know it's a nice strong you know observation that I keep seeing repeated back to me uh, the that you have to earn the right to see the rest of the content and how unfair that is in comparison to other media um, but just honestly me waddling around the stage uh, being um, you know. Uh, duck crouch crouch uh jump crouch crouch jump crouch uh toggle items toggle items crouch jump jump crouch um was and shouting snake 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 <laughs> so it was uh yeah it was it was a thing that if you got it you got it big but even if you didn't i'm suddenly waddling around the stage um but it, it did feel like it was a sort of a breakthrough that it, that it could i could i could build up this and this could be i could rely on this to work generally in front of a thousand people three thousand people whatever that it would be a a bit a strong enough bit to be the end of the show because it was the last routine in the show so it had to be it it had it had to cross over enough weirdly earlier on in that show there's a bit about the film 2012 um and uh by contrast uh i was doing the very first gig of the tour in stoke and i said so it was in the film 2012 and i and i explained and that was more difficult because you had to give them enough information about it for them to get the ridiculousness of the thing I was going to talk about. And the first night in Stoke, I was doing the routine and for the most part it was going well, but a man in the front row raised his hand. I said, what is it? He said, I've not seen that film. And I'm going, okay, well, you just sit through this for a while and then we'll hopefully get to something you know in a little while. The, uh, so it was like, you know, it was a straightforward, I've not seen this, so therefore I'm zoning out in this routine. <laughs> And I mean, you're kind of going, well, you've not lived with me, but you still went with the routines about me. You know, this it's kind of weird, like the uh, thing to be really, no, no, this, this, this doesn't speak to me, this routine. That was more difficult when you mm-hmm. as specific thing, because a lot of standard comedy is about how much information you give them. You want to give them the mm. enough, but also the minimum. Um, so you're not, you know, the, any extra information is is cluttering. Uh, and it's confusing, and they wonder why it didn't lead something. And so it's a, it's a, it's that's part of the game of writing it. So, but the video game thing, yeah, it was it, it genuinely it it could close the show because enough people got jump crouch touch the uh, to that, carry along everyone else. Yeah, and the one needed to know that snake when snake dies, it goes yeah, snake, yeah, yeah. snake, snake, snake. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, the, um, I did a um, uh, a one of the Baptists. Uh, your man was there, um, Hideo. Hey, no, hey. Um, oh, um, the oh Hideo Kojima. Hideo Kojima was there, yeah. And uh, it was there were two wonderful things about that. First was that uh, actually the second was that he delivered his speech with, in Japanese and mm-hmm. it was translated. 
but the translator wasn't beside him. The translator was just working off a microphone at the sound desk. So he would say he was doing, and then he'd stand, and then a voice would say uh, what he had said in English, mm. which is slightly weird. Mm. Um, and I said, thank you to Hu Jaya for delivering speech both in Japanese and telepathically. Um, <laughs> uh, and the, But before that, uh, he had been in the front row, and I said, Hideo Kojima is here. Uh, and everyone applauded, and I said, hey, I want to ask you one question. And from behind the podium, I took a box, and then I climbed into the box, and I was on the box going, am I hiding now, Hideo? Am I hiding? <laughs> am I hiding? <laughs> and, it was partly a reference to the day-to-days, is this cool? Is this cool? <laughs> me on the floor going, can you not see me now, Hideo? Can you? Can you not see me? Can you not see me? <laughs> I bet and, he was just sat there, just stunned. Because he doesn't speak English, it turns yeah. out. Right? So, so I'm, I, I'm sure he got it because I'm I'm pointing at him, smiling, and then I climb into a box, I say <laughs> something, and then I get out of the box and go do do a big huh? at him. Like, so he, he got it, but it was like still okay. Have I flown for twelve hours? To have a large man, just go. Am I? Is it? Is it a day with a box over my head? Have oh. I disappeared now? <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up because I've not seen that. That's brilliant. It's quite sweet. Like, I think I may, like it may, I, interesting if you watch it and I, 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 you know, if I bail after two goes, if I go, am I hiding now? And then I get out of the box really quickly means it didn't get the laugh I thought it would. <laughs> I didn't really, hey, people got it, but just in case you may see that I went, let's get out of the cardboard box real quick. Brilliant. Well, Robot Wars was a epic show and, um, it was really interesting because like Craig Charles at the time was trying to do loads of shows. I don't know if you remember one called Cyberzone where they had oh, really VR and they all had to run around and Craig was just running around trying to get stuff going. But um, Robot Wars was really a big hit back then. Uh, were you kind of worried about bringing it back and thinking? No, because you know, I, I, I had, um, there's parts of it where I'm not the ringmaster type. That's not my thing, really. Um, and Craig was better, I think, for doing that whole hype man, sitting on top of the booth, on top of the box, spinning around kind of thing. You, you know, you can see behind my eyes that I'm, kind of, I'm more the ironic person in that situation. So that kind of just energy thing, I was slightly worried about. Um but the actual thing, I thought, oh, yeah, that's not happened for a while. You know, that could be good. And I knew it was going to be on big scale. Now, fortunately, they scheduled it up against the FISH program um, uh, for the third series. Because the first series was good. Second series, they tried to do it in one day shorter. And the robots kept breaking because they didn't have time to repair the robots. And everyone's exhausted. And we all said, no, you've got to give it space to breathe. And so they reformatted it. And they reformatted it brilliantly because they had the thing in the third series where... Um, the whatever the way the, the groups worked or the rounds worked, um, 10 robots were left over and they put them into one fight. And so they had one fight that had 10 robots and it was a winner takes all fight. And w- actually, it was, re- it was a weekend that my kids came up to see it and friends of mine brought their kids in. And it took about three hours to set up. So they're all sitting around in, in this warehouse in Glasgow for ages and feed them sweets and all that. And then there was six, the, a six minute long Robot Wars fight, which is the longest fight ever in which nine robots end up in a tip and then, you know, awesome nader or something like that or destructinator uh, wins. But it was a really genuinely quite cool thing to be in the room for, like whatever, because they're just smashing. And we're like, what? That's gone. Now that's gone. Oh no. And then then things are going all over the place. And you know, that's great. And then they played it on the telly at the same time as Blue Planet 2. 
and yeah. everyone was going, look at the fish. Look at the amazing fish. Like, and even we were going, look at the fish. It's going, we're actually on the telly and on the other channel. Like, but no, the fish. And so it didn't get the numbers and 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 it, and it got yanked. It was an awful shame. But the, uh, but I, I it, it didn't, look, I don't think it was as wow to the system as it might have been back in the 90s because they did look very similar. There's a limit to what you can do. And they're all, I think they had all sort of plans of maybe we'll have drones now. And you're going, well, they're not they're just going to flap around and if a drone hits anything it stops so you can't really have a drone fight um they uh, so the drones were too delicate and then the other things were just you know but there were it, it's a pity there was one point where um t- something sheared off at such a speed it broke through the perspex the initial layer of bulletproof glass um, wow and didn't go to the second double layer that which behind which the audience were sitting, but still went thump through the through a layer. So th- it's powerful things were happening, and it was it was it was great fun to be around. But it's a weird record because you had to wait an hour between each fight because um it just to get all the bits of some robots out, shut the whole thing down, make it safe, uh, put restraining bolts on the on the giant so people didn't get murdered by these things, and then wheel them out, wheel the next all in, do all the build up and then start again, like whatever. So as an audience event, you could see there are days where a lot of people in the, in a freezing cold warehouse at the start of the episode, far fewer at the end of the episode. A lot of the kids had gone, oh God, I'm go- can I go home now? <laughs> because I've got the like, so it, was, it was a very cold event to do. It was, I, I, yes, I, I was sorry. Again, one of these things that, you know, my TV's gone very kind of, if this isn't working by now, quick, quick, get to the next idea. So we, we, I think it could have run and run for a bit longer, but uh, it, it, it didn't, sadly. Pity. Yeah, I really like the way that, like, the 90s one was kind of all attitude and these guys in jackets and stuff. And then the the latest one was kind of inventiveness, families. You still had Apollo, the guys in jackets and yeah. stuff. But there was more of a range and diversity of the kind of Robot Wars uh, creators. Well, I think, um, interesting, I think uh, the, the Phoenix Knights <laughs> killed off that, the whole Robot Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like whatever the DJ was guy going, you know, right stamping on people's tiny robots. The, yeah. But so we had to do it. And also that's, that is for good or bad. That's, that's kind of my shtick, which is how, how cool engineering is amazing. That's great. That's fun. Let's talk about the sciencey part of it all. So that's kind of my thing. And so I was very excited to talk to the, about what are we going to do with robots next? And how do you do this? And show me the tiny versions of it and all that, like whatever. So enthusiasm nerdery rather than, um, the just blank, uh, like uh, is it hype man kind of this is going to be the fight of the century, uh, type thing. Uh, whereas I'm more hmm, interesting, a flipper against a spinner. How let's see how that should work, <laughs> kind of a, so yeah, way that we're going to be doing it. But the uh, Apollo were great because it was again, they did a bit of that, but it's totally ironic. Um, and the fact that they knew the other, they, they kept flipping the house robots. Well, they did three of the four over the course of it, and they kept trying to come around and do uh, thingamajig. Um, the big one, whatever the hell he's called, oh, the uh, Kenner, wasn't it? Yeah, the um, the a lot of the legendary stuff around it, I never really got into it <laughs> in a big way. <laughs> Somebody, um, uh, did an interview where they said, uh, well, were you a big they always do this when you take over a show, were you a huge fan of the original? Um, and you have to go, oh, yes, I hardly missed an episode of it. Um, the uh, and so and I'd seen some of it. The, uh, and I, you know, got the gist. It's great, but again, I think it happened when I was in university. But the, uh, uh, I said, um, uh, yeah, but you know what? Like, I, I thought the show was great, but I never got into the whole lore of it, meaning L O R E, presuming that all nerds would accept know what I meant by lore. 
Um, and that got printed. I never got to the law of it, L-A-W. And, and it's just <laughs> weird. Like, I never got to the rules oh, of it. <laughs> so I never knew which one, Diator, and these kind of things, the, the old ones that, that, that went on fire um, randomly occasionally. But I thought, like, even the three series we did, there was the uh, Apollo was, was brilliant. Apollo was a great champion, flipping things all over the place. And flipping just works great. Then um, Carbide was, it, was the one that was a spinner and was mm. Impossible to beat. It was just this ludicrously powerful, you know, 4,000 revs per minute thing. And so it suddenly seemed like that was the arms race. And then uh, the winner of the third one was a son and a dad and son. And it was, oh God, I can't remember what it was. Gabriel was was that one? No, um, Gabriel was a weird thing. Gabriel was a great Gabriel thing that used to spin, and it had things coming off the side of it. This family, yeah, whole family, great family, um, who used to make make all these little robots and a robot kettle driving around in the in the repair area. There's some really cool people, but there was no the um, oh what was the one lovely kid uh, and his dad, and they had this oh I forgot what it was called, but they 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 had to come through the ten robot fight. They won that, then they won the semi final, and then they came up again carbide. Um, and 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 knocked them out, and it was just they they reinforced them exactly the right places to just edge it, and then and then they and then they flipped them a couple of times just to underline it, like and it was like this, and it was a lovely. The narrative of it was great, um, but unfortunately, fish win. Blue uh, <laughs> <laughs> pal on it just overcomes. How, how it's tough to beat, you know, a really adorable clownfish. Oh. How did the students uh, that just created a box with wheels on it with gaffer tape kind of get in a second? Got destroyed almost instantly. Um, the uh, and there was a kid who went in as Donald Trump. I uh, had Meg Robot Wars Great Again, ma- uh, like a, a medical student who had one of those. There was a guys who had one that they just make on a farm somewhere, and it was just totally flat and made of a perspex sheet and it would spin around. It was very difficult to defeat it. There were just, there were ones that were ludicrous and just tough to beat. It, there was a surprising amount of variety given that it felt like, well, look, as we know that the, the, the way to win this is to, is to build a spinner. Um, but actually it felt like that kind of thing that like, like a video game thing, like the, uh, okay, no, what'll happen? An evolution will occur. And, 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 the, and people will find out, how to beat that how to defeat that and then and then we got to find some other way to do it and it felt like it was even in the three series it evolved nicely i mean three different champions is great they uh there was there was every chance i think carbide was in the final three times lost twice won once which is which is which is good gives a bit of continuity but isn't dull so mm. uh yeah look it was it was it was a the, the fights were good but just you know the public's um hunger for robust fighting wasn't as huge as i think they thought it would be that's awesome. So uh, this this has been absolutely incredible. Um, so what we tend to do is always wrap up the interview with just kind of asking what's next for yourself. So do you have any future plans for any sort of video game related content? Um, at the moment, no. Although tomorrow, weirdly, I might, I've got to write a new show and it's not a topic I've gone back to for a while. So I'll see if there's anything there. Um, the last thing I did um, in public video games was, was hosting the BAFTAs and it was the first lockdown awards. It was like a week after lockdown mm-hmm. and it was done in my own house um, where, where, where they sent me the thing that floats in the background, the kind of like logo thing. And I stuck it on the screen behind me and stood there and did the the whole thing and so uh so that was my last public thing with it but uh no there isn't a specific video game plan to do anything at the moment and we keep meaning to try to get something back 
in that sphere. Um, I worry that if something work happens and doesn't go, you know, doesn't do years and years of it, like television has said, you go, well, we've done that. Uh, mm-hmm. and you're kind of going to probably other ways of doing this, but actually a good video game routine. Actually, I might have a look at that. The uh, because I'm not sure what I've what I've other things to say about it. The uh, it might be nice to to get back into enthusiastically ranting about video games again. The uh, so, uh, but uh, no, not specifically. I mean, look, I'm a comedian. We do nothing these days. So <laughs> just gone. I got, I got some podcasts coming up. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well. Thank you so much for coming on, Dara. This has been absolutely amazing and it's been an absolute laugh as well. Good stuff. Very, very good. An absolute pleasure. Good luck with this. I never really got to talk about the games as much as I thought I would. I thought I genuinely thought I'd be talking about Gradius for an hour. <laughs> well, we might have you on another time if you're up for it to talk about okay. Gradius for an hour. A pleasure. Good luck. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to do we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash audioboom, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.